One of the things I really like about the book of James is it really does challenge us, I think, in a lot of ways uh, to step out of comfort zones, um, to, you know, just be more open uh, to the ways um, that God is leading. I, um, I don't know if any of you, I want to make sure, would somebody, um, would you, Tasha, would you just watch, help watch the time for me? I want to be done around 730 um, so if you could kind of just wave back there. I kind of lost track of time uh, last week. I was having such a good time, um, and I lost track of time. So I think maybe I don't know that everybody was, but I was. So um, anyway, I was uh, watching this uh, video, and it was very, very interesting. In this video, it was on a college campus. I don't know where it was. Um, and it was a, a guy who was preaching on the campus. I think he had kind of a megaphone and he was kind of preaching on the campus and he was being very, very judgmental. He was being very angry. He was being very condemning uh, to, the, to the students there on the campus and, you know, shouting things, you're going to hell. And I mean, just really provocative stuff. And a lot of times, you know, you'll just get people that'll kind of just want to go head to head with them. And uh, what was really interesting in the way that these students reacted to him was one guy came out with a guitar and just started singing that song, um, Oh, How He Loves Me. Oh, how he loves me. And just kind of, and just started playing that on the guitar. And students just started coming just, and pretty soon they had amassed this group of people that were just starting to sing this song over and over, and pretty soon you couldn't even hear that guy as he's shouting out. I mean, their, their voices in worship drowned out that negative voice. That is the beauty of worship is a lot of times we come into worship distracted. Maybe we're hearing voices of condemnation, of guilt. And you know what? As we just begin to unite our voices in worship, it drowns out the voice of the enemy. And again, that's, that's just one of the things I love about when we gather together and just have that time of worship. It, it, it just collectively gathers us and kind of brings us to the foot of the cross. Um, and so I, I just, uh, when I was watching that, that really just kind of struck me, again, just the power of worship, the power of unity uh, in worship, and really what it has the power and the potential um, to do. So tonight we're going to continue. Uh, we've been, uh, we started last week uh, looking at the uh, New Testament book of James, kind of gave you an overview of the book of James. And tonight I want to kind of just focus on how do you profit from your problems? Because what we're going to find out tonight is uh, James has something to say about the trials, the tribulation, the suffering, the problems um, that all of us encounter. They are inevitable. They're a part um, of our life. And what we're going we're gonna to talk about, um, again, is just how do you deal with that in a biblical way? I mean, what does that look like in a, in a Christian um, framework. Uh, James is, again, one of the most practical books in the New Testament. I like to think of it as the how-to manual for the Christian life. And so, again, let's be really honest. When problems, trials, tribulations, challenges come into our lives, let's be honest, our first response 
isn't how can I profit from this? How can I benefit from this? How can I grow from this trial I'm in? Okay? It's usually more like, whose fault is this? I mean, we're looking for someone to blame. Why me? I mean, I must not be doing something right. God is mad at me. God is punishing me. Those are usually our first thoughts, our first reactions when problems, trials, tribulations, difficulties come into our lives. And yet, the Bible, and particularly the book of James, suggests, I mean, has the audacity to suggest that some of the problems and trials, tribulations, and suffering that come into your life, they are there to teach you, to develop you, to train you in such a way that God can bring you out on the other side of that problem, that trial, that tribulation, and you'll come out on the other side more patient, more with, with more endurance, you'll see that your faith has grown and increased through that, and it will make us more and more like Jesus. I mean, how many times have you prayed for patience only to have an increase in circumstances and situations that seem to try your patience? not realizing one of the ways that God develops and increases our patience is by allowing problems and circumstances, difficulties, trials, challenges to come into our life. And through those, God is developing and building into us patience and endurance by our reaction, our response. We have a couple of kids in our neighborhood um, this summer who have personalities that, frankly, honestly, drive me absolutely nuts. They will come in. I'll be working in the garage. They'll come in on their bikes. I don't see them. I don't hear them. And I mean, it's just bam, very loud. And they have a thousand questions. What are you doing? I'll, I'll say that I'm, I'm doing that. Why are you doing that? Well, I'm doing it. And, and it, it is just never-ending litany. of. It will just go on for, I mean, as long as you stand there answering the questions. You know, so I was kind of, I was kind of talking about my frustration about that with Janie. And she's like, well, just ignore them. So I'm like, okay. So I go back out in the garage, and like five minutes later, they're there again, just firing off all of these questions. And I'm ignoring him. And he just keeps asking the same question over and over and over. And I wouldn't stop. And I finally just had to put down what I was doing and go back into the house. And so uh, it, it, it was just um, the... Um, as I'm kind of processing this with Janie, Janie's kind of pointing out, you know, this really isn't all that great of a response by you. I'm like, I know, I know, I know. And it kind of suddenly dawns on me that, that, you know, as I'm kind of preparing and, and talking about patience and, and endurance, that, that God is kind of putting me in kind of this 
fire, baptism by fire, and saying, if you're going to get up and talk to people about patience and how they need to develop patience, let's have you lead the way. I'm like, thank you, Lord. So beware. I'm just giving you a heads up. If you ask God to teach you or to give you more patience, okay, it usually comes, not always, but in the vast majority of cases, it usually comes by way of very trying people and circumstances like long checkout lanes, in-laws and or annoying relatives, slow-moving traffic, long waits in the doctor's office. I mean, there's a number of ways that God can take a situation you're in and use it to develop patience. So just beware if you're going to be praying for that, how God may answer that prayer. Now, here's a kicker for some of you who are here tonight that are married. Do you know that the number one change agent that God is going to use in your life to refine and perfect you is your spouse? My spouse? Yeah, your spouse. Think about that. I've been reading a book by Angel Davis called The Perfecting Storm. I think it's, uh, there's a couple of books out on the uh, book table there. I would encourage you to get this book because she does a really good job of giving you kind of a biblical framework as to how God, by design, on purpose, God intentionally did this, how he uses your spouse to refine and perfect you. Um, One of the premises uh, that she makes there is that God designed marriage as one approach to make us more and more into the image of Christ. Now, here's how she defines the role of marriage. This is in her book. She says, marriage is to be a sacred and sacrificial relationship between a man and a woman which reflects Christ and his church and provides a vehicle for us to be, and it should be, uh, to be made more like him. That, I mean, I'll tell you what, when I read that sentence, I just kind of stopped and meditated on that for a moment. Because there's, he's really, she's really making an incredible point there that is worth absorbing. Another point in the book, she makes the following observation. She said, perhaps God designed marriage so we are brought to the end of ourselves. Completely and utterly useless in succeeding at it unless we are totally and helplessly dependent of him and his love. What if God, what if what God really intended is this marriage, a vehicle for refining us in fire like we've never felt it before? Have you ever thought of marriage in that context? Yeah, ever thought of God using your spouse in that role? She said, marriage, an opportunity to die to self and to become more and more like Christ. Marriage, a relationship perfectly designed to help us learn what unconditional, selfless love really is and what it looks like. Marriage, an opportunity to reflect the world to the world, Christ's love for us. Now again, oftentimes we don't, we don't think uh, we think of marriage that, you know, marriage is there to, you know, make us fine. 
You know, it's actually there to refine us is the point she's trying to make here. So see, God had a plan. He's got a purpose. And part of that plan is to perfect you and to refine you using your spouse. Isn't that amazing? For some of us, we thought marriage was to fulfill us, and it's really there again to refine us. So the question becomes, are we willing to allow God to use our spouse in that way? So your quest to become more like Jesus, the answer to some of your prayers in being an image bearer, in terms of becoming more godly, do you realize the answer to that prayer may be sitting right next to you tonight? Something to think about. I encourage you to pick up that book out there. It does a really good job, you know, because Paul talks about, you know, marriage really being that, that there is a profound mystery to marriage. And, and again, I think that, that God has a purpose and an intent for marriage beyond, I think, what a lot of us go into marriage looking for or expecting. And yet God has a plan and a purpose for that marriage, you know, beyond, you know, um, love and, you know, companionship and, and family and all of those are wonderful, beautiful, God-ordained, um, you know, uh, roles of, of the marriage and family. But again, if you, if you ever thought beyond that, you know, that maybe God has you with the person that he has you with because that is the person that God wants to use in your life to perfect and to refine you. Just very, very interesting. Okay, let's turn our attention to the first chapter of James. Now, if you've got your Bibles, you can open up to James chapter one. I talked about this last week and it's just very interesting to me. When you read a lot of the New Testament books, Especially Paul, you know, Paul kind of will open with, a, with an introduction, you know, kind of a salutation. You know, he'll kind of say who he is and, and he'll greet this person and greet that person and he'll kind of just give an introduction uh, by way of just kind of warming you up before he really gets into the heart of what he was really wanting to write to the church about. James doesn't do that. I mean, he kind of just says, yeah, I'm James, apostle of God, writing to the Jews who are scattered abroad. And then in verse 2, he just jumps right into it, and he says, consider it pure joy. My brothers, when you face trials of many kind. Now, again, how would you like to get a letter, get a response like that? Next time someone comes to you with a problem, a trial, a challenge in their lives, look them in the eye and say, rejoice, be happy, consider it pure joy that this is happening to you. How in the world could that be a helpful response? Well, look what James goes on and says. He goes on and says, because you know, or at least you should know. Consider it pure joy, my brothers. Whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know, or if you don't know, he's saying, let me tell you why you can embrace this with pure joy. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. 
In other words, God has a plan. He has a purpose for the problems, the trials, the tribulations, the suffering that you are going through. The question is, are you willing to grow from them? Because if you're not, what I have found in my own personal life, I'll just continue going around the same mountain until I finally get it. So let's get this right out on the table. Again, the purpose from God's point of view, from God's perspective, the purpose of trials, testing, suffering, trials, persecution, whatever else you want to throw in there, all of that is for the purpose of deepening your faith and developing perseverance. Isn't that what he says there in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3? So what is faith? Well, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's the definition of faith. Faith is grasping the unrealities of hope and bringing them into the realm of reality. Have you ever just stopped and just focused on faith? I don't know about you, but every so often I've got to go back and I've got to basically kind of reorient my thinking to biblical faith. Um, I, I don't know if that makes sense, but I, I, I've oftentimes got to go back and make sure that my understanding of biblical faith is grounded. Because so much of what happens in the world, it, it, it kind of buffets against that. It, it's, it's counter to faith. And so often we, we, we're in the world, even though we're not of it, and oftentimes the world has a way of influencing us, even if it's, you know, subconsciously. I just find there are things in my spirit that I've got to go back and almost kind of reestablish the, the, the foundational truth uh, in regards to that. Faith is one of those things for me. Because again, if, if you look at this, again, Hebrews 11, 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, that is not as clear of a definition of faith as I'd like it. I kind of look at that and I, and I kind of find myself thinking, what does that mean? Faith is grasping the unrealities of hope and bringing them into the realm of reality. Faith in God is simply faith in his word. Faith is giving substance to the things hoped for. So tonight, let's look at four facts of life from James that will help you with the trials, tribulations, problems that maybe some of you are going through right now. If you're not, you will be at some point. This will be helpful to know then. First fact of life you need to know, problems are inevitable. James says, if you encounter problems, consider it joy. No, he doesn't say that. He says, whenever. It's not a matter of if. You're going to encounter troubles. It's not a matter of if you're going to encounter trials. James says, whenever. In other words, it's going to happen. It may not be happening now, but it may happen tomorrow. But James says, whenever it happens, whenever you encounter trials, he says, consider it pure joy. Especially, and I'm going to tell you what, you are going to have trials, tribulations, persecution, suffering, if you are living an active Christian lifestyle. It's inevitable. 
If you don't have problems in this life, check your pulse. Check the obituaries. Make sure you're not in there. It's a fact of life. Every one of us in this room, if you are alive by virtue of being alive, there are going to be times where you're going to have trials, tribulations, problems in your life. Especially if you are living a spirit-filled, active Christian life. It's going to happen. First Peter 4, beginning in verse, or Jesus said in John 16, 33, staying with my notes here, in the world you will have tribulation. Doesn't say you might. Said in the world you're going to have tribulation. Especially if you're a born again, spirit-filled Christian, you're going to have tribulation. He says, but take courage, I have overcome the world. First Peter 4, beginning in verse 12. Beloved, again, he's talking to Christians here. He's addressing believers here. He says, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. He says, don't don't act like, what in the world is this all about? This shouldn't be happening. I'm a Christian. I'm born again. I'm spirit-filled. This shouldn't be happening. He said, no, no, don't be surprised by that. As a matter of fact, expect it. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ... What were the sufferings of Christ? Yeah, persecution. Is that it? Yeah, crucifixion. Mocking. He was spat upon. He was scourged with a whip. Crown of thorns were pressed upon his head. He was rejected. He was forsaken. He was betrayed. Those are the sufferings of Christ. He says, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. I don't like that. That's no fun. So that, also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. There's a reward in that. There's a promise in that. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, see, when you're living an active Christian, you're going to be reviled. You're going to be rejected. You're going to be mocked. You're going to be made fun of. You're going to be betrayed. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are what? Blessed. Do you feel blessed in that? Probably not. It's hard. If you've ever been there, I'm serious. Your first reaction isn't, wow, am I blessed. It's why we need the word. It's why we need each other. Because the spirit of glory and of God rest on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or troublesome meddler. In other words, if you're doing 
if that's you, if you're doing those kinds of things, you're only getting what you deserved. And don't be a big crybaby about it, is what he's saying. Okay, you, de- you're, you deserve that in terms of troubles and problems. You brought them on yourself, and they are not the same thing as suffering for your faith in Christ. Okay, what Peter's talking about, what Jesus is talking about, what James is talking about, again, he's talking about people who are living a lifestyle that becomes the gospel. He says, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. So he says, count on it. Plan on it. Be ready. It's going to come. It's going to happen. And when it does, consider it pure joy. Rejoice. You're blessed. The spirit of glory, the spirit of God rest upon you. Again, trials, tribulations, suffering, problems. They're not an elective in this life. They are a required part of living. And God has a purpose. He uses them to develop perseverance, endurance in us. You show me one believer, one saint, one Christian, insider, outside the Bible, who did not have troubles, problems, trials, and tribulations in their life because of their faith in God. Show me one. Tell me one. In or outside the Bible, a person who is passionately living for Jesus Christ who did not have trials, tribulations, persecutions, suffering because of the name of Christ, because of the life that they were living. I can't name one. I can't find one. I've looked. And yet somehow we think we should be the exception. Jesus, who was the perfect son of God, did not get out of this life with his fair share of problems, suffering, trials, and tribulations because of his faith in God and God's call upon his life, and yet somehow we think life should be smooth sailing for us. Interestingly, in Scott Peck's book, The Road Less Traveled, the opening sentence in the book is, life is difficult. It is. So we might as well come to terms with the fact And just accept it, that if we're going to live an active Christian life, if we're going to be passionate about our faith in Jesus, passionate about our love for God, you are going to have trials, tribulations, persecution, and suffering. But nevertheless, James says, count it all joy, pure joy. So they're inevitable. Second thing is they're unpredictable. James says, whenever you face problems, the word face in Greek is peripipito, and it literally means to fall into unexpectedly, by surprise. It's the same word used in the story of the Good Samaritan where the man fell among thieves. It was unexpected. He peripipitoed. It was unexpected. Problems, trials, tribulations are seldom planned. We seldom anticipate the problems we're going to experience in life. And that's probably a good thing. Because if we could anticipate or foretell there were problems coming, most of us would turn and run the other way. At least I would. And we wouldn't get the benefit from them. We don't plan to have 
troubles or a crisis. They're unplanned. They're unpredictable. When we least expect them, that's when that's what makes a problem a problem. Often it's inconvenient when you fall into it suddenly. Third thing is problems, uh, trials, tribulations, they all come in a variety of different kinds. They come in all shapes and sizes. One thing about problems, you won't get bored with any of them because they come in all kinds of varieties. Relational, financial, health, work, family, wide host of other sources. Ever tried to match paint? Carrie has. Carrie matched some paint for me on our house. It was a challenge. Now the Greek word for many kinds is literally multicolored. Isn't that a great word, Carrie? I love that word. Multicolored. There are problems, trials, tribulations, situations that are going to come in your life, and they are going to be multicolored. Some are going to be minor, some are going to be major. We have all kinds and shapes of problems. They come in more than 31 flavors. Some problems are custom made. We've been there. We know that from our own experience. Saw a sign one time that said, into every life some rain must fall, but this is ridiculous. (laughs) Ever had days like that? Again, lots of problems, lots of varieties in our life. Fourth one, trials, problems, tribulations are purposeful. God has a plan. God isn't standing back surprised by the things that are unfolding in your life. He's not there wringing his hands saying, oh no, didn't see that one coming. What are we going to do? God has a plan. He has a purpose for every problem, trial, tribulation, unexpected situation. God has a plan ready to go. There's a purpose behind it. Persecution can be productive. It has the potential to add value to our lives. What value? Let me give you just three purposes of problems in your life. First of all, they purify our faith. That word testing. It's a term that is used in testing gold and silver in that you heat them up and in heating them, kind of the impurities kind of rise to the surface, the dross, and then it's kind of just scraped off and removed. Job 23.10, there he says, he has tested me through the refining fire and I have come out as pure gold. So God was using that in Job's life. He uses that in our lives to refine us. So the first thing trials do is to test, to refine, to fortify our faith. They purify us. I heard somebody make an analogy one time that Christians are a lot like tea bags. You know, you don't know what's inside of them until you put them in hot water. And then you know. Your faith develops when things don't go as planned. Your faith develops when you don't feel like doing what's right. You don't feel like it. It's developing something in you. Christians are like steel. When they're tested, they come out stronger. How do many of you remember the story of Miriam Ibrahim? I just saw this morning her first interview, public interview, uh, was with Megyn Kelly on Fox News, and she uh, interviewed her. She was born to a Muslim father who left her Ethiopian Orthodox mother to raise her from early childhood. Miriam was raised in the Christian faith. She was always a Christian, she said, and eventually married a Christian man from the United States by the name of Daniel Juan, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but Miriam Ibrahim was reportedly turned 
into the authorities by one of her relatives who claimed Miriam was committing adultery because she was uh, married to a man who was not of the Muslim faith. So she was sentenced to death on May 15th of this year for allegedly committing apostasy from Islam, meaning that she was accused of changing her religion from Islam to a different uh, religion. And she testified before the court that she did not change her religion. She's always been a Christian. But they claimed that she should have followed the faith of her father and demanded with the support of the court, with the judge, that she abandon her Christian faith. They threw her in prison, gave her three days uh, to recant her faith in uh, uh, Christianity uh, and to um, accept the uh, Muslim faith or she would be hung. She refused to do that because she said she had been a Christian all her life and she did not believe that she, she, she was committed in her faith to not take back her commitment to Jesus Christ. She was held uh, in a women's prison uh, along with her 20-month-old son. Visitors were not allowed. Her husband did not have access um, to her. Um, originally, uh, the first time he had seen her, she was shackled, had swollen legs. Uh, they said vital medical treatment was refused. Uh, she was denied transfer to a hospital, even though she had a lot of difficulties uh, in uh, her pregnancy. And even during childbirth, she talked about this in her interview that I saw today, said her legs were shackled on the bed as she gave birth to her child. On June 24th of this year, she was finally released from uh, prison on the order of the Sudanese Appeals Court. Following day, as her and her family go to board this plane to leave Sudan, they are re-arrested. And they're taken uh, for questioning. Eventually, she was freed again on the 26th of June and arrived here in the United States. She's living in New Hampshire right now, I believe, with her um, her brother-in-law. And the reason I tell this story is because in comparison to the problems, trials, tribulations, suffering that you and I may experience, I can assure you it does not even begin to compare with what that woman went through because of her faith in Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, if you kind of just stack up what you're going through next to hers, it probably will cause it to pale in comparison. Now, I don't say that to minimize whatever problems you are going through or trials or tribulations that you may be going through. But honestly, if someone went up to most Christians in the United States and called them a Jesus freak, most of them would just crumple into a pile of tears and need to get on Prozac. We, I'm serious. I mean, somebody comes and calls someone a, a Bible thumper or a homophobe, and oh my gosh, I, I mean, we just think it's the end of the world. When you really begin to compare it to people who are truly suffering, I mean, it's almost kind of an insult to even complain about stuff like that, and yet we do. Most Christians living in the United States, man, we have no grid. We have no framework 
for what true persecution, tribulation, suffering for Christian faith is really all about. And it really is an insult, I think, to people like Miriam and others who do suffer greatly because of their faith in Jesus Christ. It was interesting, at one point in the interview, Megan uh, Kelly asked her, what, what's in the future for you? And she said, I really want to be able to go back and to be a voice and be an advocate for all of the other people, all of the other Christian women that are suffering in persecution, much like I was because of my faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, I'm thinking, man, I got out. Thank God I don't ever want to go back. That's not her at all. She's, she wants to go back and to help free other women that are in similar situations that she was in because of their faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, we get a flat tire, have a runny nose, our roof leaks. We act like the devil's out to destroy us. Seriously. I mean, oh, my, my car wouldn't start this morning. Call the prayer team. Oh, the gates of hell have been unleashed against me. I'm, this is our attitude sometimes. I think it's embarrassing. That's the problem for most Christians living today in the United States. It doesn't take much to drive us to despair. One little thing sends us over the edge, threatens to destroy our belief. And it really doesn't even need to be directly related to our faith. You know, there are things, and I I struggled over whether to say this, there are things that happen in life that really don't affect my faith in a negative way at all. I, I, I don't even... It doesn't even register anymore. When certain things happen in my life, I don't automatically just think, oh, this is, this is a spiritual attack. I, I don't like the expense. I don't like the inconvenience of my car breaking down. But to me, that all comes with owning and operating a vehicle. So when my car breaks down or needs repairs, I don't necessarily always view that as a spiritual attack. Now, I don't know if that's right or wrong, but that's just kind of where I'm at in my faith. I don't like the expense, the inconvenience of home repairs. But again, to me, that all comes with owning a home. So when the roof leaks or the air conditioner goes out, I don't interpret that, that the devil is out to try to destroy me. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 45, for he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. It tells me there are events, there are things, circumstances, situations that are gonna happen to everyone, whether you're a Christian or not. And yet we buy into this notion that because I'm a Christian, we should somehow be exempt from all the distressful, inconvenient circumstances in life. And when we aren't, it shipwrecks a lot of people's faith. Sometimes when I hear the things that are causing people to question their faith in Jesus Christ, sometimes it is a sign to me that you need to grow up and you need to go on to maturity 
And again, most of us have a very, very shallow, I'm not, I'm not directing this at anybody here. So you know, please don't get offended. I had a lady that got offended last week and stormed out. And Most of us have a very shallow faith because we buy into this notion that God always has to protect us and God has to shield us and keep us from all trials, tribulations, problems, and suffering in this life, whereas James seems to indicate it's going to be the exact opposite. Prepare for it. Expect it. Especially if you're living a passionate lifestyle for Jesus. If you passionately love God, James is trying to tell you, expect this. It's going to come. James says, you know what? The reason God allows the purpose, the plan God has for all the things that you're going through, it really is to deepen your faith. It is to develop perseverance, endurance. Now, I'm not saying, you know, that you go out and need to look for trials and tribulations. You don't want, need to go out and look for opportunities to suffer. I just believe if we are living an authentic Christian faith, especially in today's extreme PC, separation church and state environment, hostility toward the things of God in the culture, trials, troubles, persecution, tribulation will find us. And we just need to count up pure joy. We need to rejoice. We need to see it for what it is. So problems are useful in purifying our faith. Good, we're done. We'll pick up next time.